All right, good morning. If you'll go ahead and get your outline. We're going to be looking at one of the great miracles of the Bible as we talk about how to face the storms of life. Matthew chapter 8 is the account of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And this miracle had such an impact on the disciples and the writers of the New Testament that it is recorded in three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We are going to be looking at it primarily out of Matthew's account, but we'll also bring in Mark and Luke so we can get the full picture of what happened. So on your outline or up on the screen, follow along with me as I read in Matthew 8, beginning in verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke Him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then He got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey Him. Jesus never wasted a miracle. He never performed miracles simply to perform miracles. They were always done in order to teach a point. And in this story, we find some principles on how we can face the storms of life. Now, there are three basic kinds of storms that we face in life. Number one, there are situational storms. Situational storms. This is when circumstances seem to be against you and nothing is going your way, everything is going wrong, Murphy's Law is in full effect. Have you experienced those days? This is what it says in Proverbs 127. Sometimes calamity overtakes you like a storm and disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind. Sometimes it seems like everything is going wrong all at once. And so there are situational storms that we face in life. And then the second basic kind of storm are relational storms. This relational storm. This is when there is tension between people. A relationship has been strained to the breaking point between parent and child, husband and wife, employer, employee, teacher, student, boyfriend, girlfriend. Psalm 102 says this, I have become like a bird alone on a roof. That's kind of an interesting analogy. All day long, my enemies taunt me. When you read through the book of Psalms, one of the things that you discover is that King David had a lot of relational storms. There was a lot of tension between David and other people, oftentimes to the breaking point. 
And then the third kind of basic storm we face are emotional storms. Now, sometimes these are a little bit more difficult to detect because they're, they're hidden behind a nice smile. You know, we're smiling, but inside we are boiling and in distress. Oftentimes, we are paralyzed by fear, overcome by guilt, raging with anger, and consumed with worry or jealousy. In the Old Testament, there was a fellow by the name of Job. He has this book named after him. It's 42 chapters long. And in one day, in a 24-hour period, he loses his ten children. They they are killed in a freak accident. Most of his possessions are taken from him, and his health goes completely downhill. And so this is what Job says to God. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I am sure that most of you at times feel like Job did. Like the Lord is just throwing you up into the wind just so you can be blown away. So there are situational storms and relational storms and emotional storms. Now the Bible gives us three facts about those storms. And we have to know these before we look at the text of the miracle. Number one, this is what we need to know before we study Jesus calming the storm. Storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. If you are not in a storm right now, a personal storm, just wait, you soon will be. Okay, And you probably won't have to wait very long because storms are just a part of life. In James 1-2, and Drew read this just a few moments ago, James 1-2, James opens up the book. In the first book, in the first verse, he says, hey, this is James. And he's writing to Christians throughout the modern-day country of Turkey, many of whom would be experiencing persecution or difficulties for their faith. So the second verse into the book, this is what he says, when you face trials. Now, would you circle when? Notice it does not say if. It doesn't say if you face trials. It says when you face trials. You will face storms in life because nobody sails through life from the cradle to the coffin without some tough times. So storms are inevitable. Second thing we know. Storms are unpredictable. I'm talking about storms in your life. They're just like, they're like a, like a thunderstorm. Oftentimes, they come suddenly and unexpectedly. You say, man, it just hit me. This is Matthew 8, 24. Without warning, a furious storm came up. The bottom line is you and I cannot predict the things that are going to happen to us. But it's amazing how people try, right? Horoscopes. Tea leaves. I guess. You know, psychics. 
We, we all want to know, is it going to be a good day or a bad day? But the truth is, we can't predict storms. None of us knew how we were going to be affected by the tragedy of 9-11. And that's because storms are often unpredictable. Now, I'm sure the people in Manhattan and the, the people who had been up in the towers that morning but were able to, to, to get out of there before they collapsed, I'm sure they were affected to a much deeper degree than, than I was. So storms are unpredictable. And then number three, Storms are impartial. I'm talking about the storms of life. They're impartial. Listen, they happen to good people, bad people, to believers, non-believers, poor people, rich people, nice people, unnice people. This is Matthew 5.45. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Being a Christian does not exempt us from the storms of life. But, oh, I wish it did. Wouldn't it be great if, like, when you became a Christian, God just gave you an edge on everybody? Like, maybe your CDs, instead of getting, like, 0.1% interest, maybe you get 15, you know. And I'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah. Of course, we'd have people join in the church all the time just for good CD rates, you know. You know, or maybe your car gets a little better gas mileage. You stay healthy or something. Right? There is this misconception that the only time we have tough times is when we're disobeying God. That's not true. Take a look at this text. The disciples are, are having difficulties because they chose to follow God. They made the decision to follow Jesus onto the boat. To follow, the, that was a good decision to follow the Lord, right? And yet they're experiencing difficulties. God has not promised us a storm-free life. And it's important for us to remember that this is not heaven where everything is perfect and God's will is always done. This is earth where things are often done imperfectly and where we have choices and often make bad choices and people get hurt. If everything was perfect right here, nobody would want to go to heaven. So if storms are inevitable and unpredictable and impartial, then the real issue for you and me this morning is this. How are we going to respond to the storms of life? That's the real issue. Now, there's two possibilities. We can respond as the disciples did, or we can respond as Jesus did. One responded in fear, the other responded in faith. One trembled, and the other trusted. Number one. When I face a storm, I can be filled with panic. When we face storms, we can be filled with panic. This is verse 25. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. Now listen, these guys were no weekend fishermen. I know we have some weekend fishermen here. Yeah, you go out fishing 
one Saturday a month. These guys were professionals. They were out on the Sea of Galilee every day, and they had been through a bunch of storms, but they had never experienced anything like this. They're looking at each other saying, we're goners. We are history. Okay. In fact, in verse 24, back in verse 24, where it says a furious storm came up, that word furious, in the English language, from that word we get seismographed, which measures the an instrument that measures the intensity of earthquakes. And so this is an earth-shaking storm. Now, some of you have told me some pretty scary fishing stories. You know, you live down here this far, uh, this near the coast, you get a lot of fishing stories. And uh, a lot of these scary ones have, like, happened off south of Dolphin Island. You're out there in your 16-foot boat, 12 miles out from shore, and some, and the motor goes out, you know, or some big storm. Because yeah, in every year in the paper, there's several stories, and I'm sure for every story that's in the paper, there's ten stories that don't make it. The Coast Guard gets called to rescue people in distress. But some of you have some pretty scary stories to tell. So we can be in panic when we face the storms of life. Number two, the alternative to being filled with panic is being filled with peace. And remember, I'm really not talking about physical storms. Like um, We're talking about personal situations. Look at the contrasting reaction of Jesus. Now, the disciples are, you know, they're all bent out of shape. But now here's Jesus, verse 24. But Jesus was sleeping. <laughs> sleeping in a storm, you talk about peace. Now, this certainly shows the humanity of Jesus, right? I mean, you know, he got tired. He had been teaching all day and was exhausted. And so if you have ever wondered if Jesus can identify with your fatigue and your, your, uh, your weariness, he can. But this is also a picture of complete trust in God. Jesus wasn't worried about the storm. In fact, he was teaching his disciples by his sleep. Here's a question. When Jesus stepped onto the boat, did he know, or could he have at least known, that there was going to be a storm? Right. So, what you and I are supposed to get out of this is this principle, nothing ever takes God by surprise. He knows about your financial storm. It's not like, oh, so you're having some financial problems. He knows about your emotional storm. He knows about your relational storms. He knows about the spiritual storms that you're going through. Now, we can be in panic or we can be in peace when we face storms in life. And sometimes sleeping can actually be a statement of faith. Have you ever come to the end of the day and said, Lord, I've tried to handle this and I can't. And so I'm going to bed right now and I'm turning this over to you. You work it out. All right. And I'll pick it up again in the morning. <laughs> okay. Where in the world do you get that kind of peace in a storm? By 
applying the three principles from this text to your life. Now, these principles I'm going to give you, they are simple. See, as you write them down, you're going to be thinking, simple. Yes, but simple is always profound. Okay, let me let me try one on you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Simple, yet profound. The passage Kyle quoted at communion, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Simple, yet on another level, profound. So simple principles are always the most profound. Number one, remember God's closeness. You have to remember God's closeness. You have to remember that you are not alone. Verse 23, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. They had nothing to fear with Jesus in the boat. Do you think Jesus was really going to let the boat sink? That in and of itself should have been enough to calm them. Now here's the principle. Here's the lesson. God is always with me. If you're going to make it through a personal storm, the first lesson that you have to learn is God is always with me. And so there is nothing that you will face the rest of your life that you will have to face alone. Jesus is in your boat and we tend to forget that in the middle of a storm. We tend to think that we're all alone. Jesus has made this promise to every believer in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he came to the end of his life. Second uh, Timothy 4, chapter 4, the last chapter of the last book he wrote. And he knew the end was near. And he said this, Everyone has forsaken me, but the Lord stood by my side. So everyone may forsake you, but you and I have to realize that the Lord is by our side and that we are never totally alone. That's what we have to know when the hard times come. Number two, is relax in God's care. Relax in God's care. The typical response when we go through a difficult time is this. Does God even care? Here's Mark 4.38. The disciples woke them. I can see them waking them up. Of course, Jesus must have been in a pretty deep sleep, right? He woke them up and they said, Teacher! Don't you care if we drown? Isn't that the typical response when we go through a tragedy? Is Lord, don't you care? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you know what's going on? Won't you do something? So what's the lesson? God cares about what you're going through. You can put that in the first person. God cares about what I'm going through. God cares about what I'm going through. This is 1 Peter 5, 7. 
Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now there was one thing that the disciples did right. And I know it's easy to get you know, kind of critical of them. But the one thing they did right was one big thing. They took their fear to Jesus. They didn't start chanting. They did not start singing kumbaya. They didn't start calling on some ancient saint to come rescue them. They took their fear to the Lord. Say, man, we're going to the source on this one. Hey, Lord, you need to get up. Why? Because ultimately, He was the only one who could do anything about it. And then number three is rely on God's control. We need to rely on God's control. The point is not, it looks like everything is under God's control. That is not the point. The point is we need to rely on God's control. Let His power see you through. This is great. This is Mark 4.39. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Two miracles performed simultaneously. We normally refer to it as a, as a single miracle. It's actually two miracles together. Miracle number one, stopping the storm. Miracle number two is instantly stopping the wave motion. You know that on a large body of water in the Sea of Galilee, 12 miles by 6 miles, after a storm has passed over, waves can continue to roll for several hours. And you get out into a large body of water like the Pacific Ocean, after a storm has gone through, waves can continue actually for days after the storm is gone. And so when he said, quiet, be still, in the original language, that literally means, just shut up. Shut up. You know? Wow. What's the lesson? God is in control. God is in control. There is nothing beyond God's control. Fear comes when we experience things in life that are beyond our control. See, this is a good time to talk about fear. You and I, we become fearful when we see things in our lives beyond our control. I mean, if you're driving by the front of your house and you look up and, and on the, uh, the hardboard there's a chip of, of paint off of it, you don't oh, become fearful. Because it's under your control. Get a little sandpaper, get a little primer, get a little paint. Right? You're driving by, you see, the, your, your bushes are overgrown a little bit. And don't drive by my house. I have 214 different varieties of mixed weeds. In fact, they, they, they actually drive people from Bellingraft Gardens to my house just to see the variety of different weeds, you know, go from the flowers to the weeds. But you don't become fearful because it's beyond your control. You get the shears out and do the number on the bushes. Now, if you go to the doctor and he says, I think there might be something wrong with your liver, then we become fearful because it's beyond your control. Hopefully, it is not beyond the control 
of modern medicine. So, we can't control everything. We can't control everything that happens to our lives or our family or our friends or our church. But we have to understand that ultimately God is in control. Now this is Jeremiah 32.17 and this is being written to people who were carried away from their homeland to a foreign land hundreds of miles away. It'd be like, you know, us in Alabama being carried away to a terrible place like maybe Ohio or something. I don't know. If anybody's from Ohio, I apologize. I love Ohio. That just came up to my, on my mind here. Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now, earlier, when they stepped into the boat, Jesus said to the disciples, we are going to the other side. So it was inevitable that they were going to the other side. He never said the trip would be easy. He never said you're not going to get wet. He never said you're not going to have a panic attack in the middle of the lake in a storm. So if you have met the biblical conditions for salvation, God says you're going to heaven, but He's never said the trip there is going to be easy. So in Matthew 8, 26, Jesus looks at him, the disciples, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Jesus told His disciples basically two things if you look at this. Number one, the root of your problem is fear. And the solution to your problem is faith. Now here's what I get out of this when I'm, you know, kind of look for the principle beneath the statement. The greatest threat to the disciples was not the storm, it was their unbelief. You never find Jesus rebuking anybody for having too much faith. It's always because of a lack of faith. But the good news is that God is pleased when we come to the end of our physical limits because it gives Him the opportunity to show His power. See, if we always live within our own power, then we'll spend all of our time magnifying ourselves. Our favorite song will become, How Great I Am. But when we get into a situation that is beyond our control, it becomes an opportunity for us to see God's power at work. Now here's the big question. If God knew in advance before they got into the boat that there was going to be this big storm, then why did He let them get into the boat? Here's the answer. It was to teach them a lesson. The lesson is that Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. I came across this quote 
from Andre Crouch. I just saw it on the internet and I had to look up who he was. He's a minister in Southern California and he writes, produces, and sings gospel music. But this is his quote. If I never had a problem, I would never know that God could solve them. So the disciples had no reason to fear because they had what each one of us has, the presence of Christ, the power of Christ, and the promise of Christ. And those are the three things that you and I need if we're going to make it through the storms of life. We need His presence. We need His power. We need His promises. So I have a question for you. What is rocking your boat? What kind of storms are you going through right now? Now, I'm using boat as a metaphor for your life. And I'm using storms as a metaphor for the problems and the difficulties that you face in life. So what kind of storm are you facing? Maybe a relational storm, financial storm, emotional storm, spiritual storm, or E, all of the above, which could be a a real possibility. Maybe you feel like the circumstances of life are tossing you back and forth and you're just a little toy plastic boat in the middle of a big ocean and, and you wanna, you wanna cry out, I'm sinking, I'm going under. I remember growing up, I had this, I don't know how old I was, no one very old. I had a little plastic toy boat and I had a wading pool. A little wading pool, I don't know, maybe five feet across and maybe a foot deep, you know, those little wading pools. And I, I'd put the boat in the middle of the pool, and I don't know if this was like just boys do this, maybe girls do it. And then I get the boat, and I start making big waves, big waves like this. I just, you know, big waves, and they'd hit the side of that uh, little, uh, the wading pool, and then they'd come back, and the boat would start. And I'd do everything I could to capsize the boat. That was my goal. And the boat would sometimes flip on its side or, or even flipped upside down, but it always uprighted itself in that little wading pool. It doesn't matter how big the wave is that you're facing right now. Jesus can rebuke it. It's not like it's an unrebukable wave. He can rebuke it and give you peace. Jesus can calm storms. So don't look to anybody for the solution. Don't look to some experience for the solution. Only Jesus ultimately can give us peace in the middle of our personal storms. Now here's here's a lesson. Here's a principle. Remember, storms are temporary. Now I know that sounds good Sunday morning, in the auditorium, right? I mean, if, if you're lying in a hospital bed and I come in there and I say, well, how you doing there, John or Jane? Hey, it's just temporary. You know, it may not go over so well if you're the person in bed, but maybe this is the best time for us to learn the principle so we can get through the difficult times when we are lying flat on our back in some bed. As the story is told, <clears throat> Mark Twain, the American humorist, was standing outside of a building with his friend 
and it's pouring down rain. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and the friend says to Mark Twain, do you think it's ever going to end? And Mark Twain says, it always does. Jesus' word to you this morning would be this. Hang in there. Don't give up. The sun is going to shine again. That's His word to us. Verse 27. The men were amazed. Oh, wow. Wouldn't it have been something to have been there and seen that? I mean, raging storm and, and waves. And he said, quiet, be still. It's like a sea of glass. These men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That's a good question and I like to answer it. He is the Son of God who came to the earth in the form of a man so that we can know what God is like. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus wants to help you get through the storms of life, but He has to be in your boat first. In other words, He has to be in your life. My question is, is Jesus in your boat, or is He over here standing on the shore? How do you get Him into your boat? How do you get Jesus into your life? I got a phone call, and I was talking with this person, and they said, uh, well, Every church I go to, they tell me something different. At one church, they say, well, you know, to be saved, you, you, you believe on Jesus, be saved. Another church, they said, if you give X amount of dollars, you'll be saved. And we, we could be leaning toward that at the end of the year when it comes to the budget. We could be leaning toward that one. Another one says, well, you, uh, you need to have this a certain kind of experience in order to be saved. Then another one says, you need to be baptized to be saved. says, well, what am I supposed to do? I said, here's what I did. I figured out what all of the different churches, churches were teaching, four, five, six different basic things, and I put them all together and just did it all. So like one church says, well, you just need to believe. Okay, I'll believe. Another church says you need to confess Jesus as Lord. So I confess Jesus as Lord. Another church said, repent of your sins. So I repented of my sins. Another church says, be baptized. So I was baptized. I figure if we're really going to be serious about spending the time and the effort to be a disciple of Jesus, why don't we just go all the way and do everything that we know God tells us to do in the Bible? And if you send me an email this week and says, hey, Bruce, have you considered doing this? If I haven't done it, I'll just go out and do it. Why would we want to get by with the minimum when we know there may be more than that in this book? So I suggest that you fulfill what the New Testament teaches. 14, and 14 of 27 books it talks about baptism. So I'm figuring if, if something gets mentioned 14 times in 27 books, we ought to give some attention to it. The purpose of the Port City Church is not to build some physical, worldwide empire. But it is to help 
you get through the storms of life. The Bible says that God cares, and because God cares, we care. We believe that the most important thing is your relationship with the Lord. And we want to create the kind of atmosphere here where that relationship can grow. So David's going to be coming up and leading us in the invitation hymn. If you have a particular need, if we can pray for you on your behalf, if you need to put Christ on in baptism, if you have a particular need, please let us know what it is while we stand and sing.